if you're here for the first time, hey, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Um, hopefully, if you can get a hold or one of our ushers can get a hold of you, we got a, a gift for you. And uh, we, are, we are glad that you are in um, the service this morning. Okay. So, there's something about church... And hungry. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but now for breakfast, Wendy's has these kind of, kind of they're like a spicy potato. Absolutely delicious. I hope you don't mind me snacking. Not unless I'm going to share, right? That's what you're saying, right? And you know what? I think Wendy should probably give me some type of a kickback as I do this. What I was going to do was I was actually going to try and find someone in a church who uh, worked for Skip the Dishes, right? Kind of have them deliver it to me while I was preaching the sermon. I mean, the, the great, the great sermon illustration for for me to do. And and um, then I realized I couldn't find them. And and I remember one time hearing my wife talk to my kids who actually you skip the dishes quite a bit. Funny how our world has changed, isn't it? She said, I would never, ever use skip the dishes. Why would I pay for someone to deliver me food when I can just go and get it myself? And I began to sit there and say, what are you talking about? You do have skip the dishes. It's called me. I am the skip the dishes in our household. How many of you men probably are the skip the dishes person. No? What is it, folks? I'll finish these after. What is it, folks, with church and hunger? I think some of the, the most hungry times I have found myself is halfway through a sermon. You know, now most of the time I'm up here speaking, sometimes I'm not, and and, you know, it's not that the pastor's boring or anything, but there's just something that goes on. I'm texting my wife, what's for lunch? No, I'm the only one who feels that way sometimes when it comes to church and, and hunger. And I'm just wondering what that is. Maybe it's the devil. You know, if he can't keep your attention, he'll just make you hungry. If it's a good sermon, you, all of a sudden you get hungry. You're thinking, well, maybe the devil doesn't want me to hear it. I'm thinking about food. I'm not too sure. Um, but this, this thought came to my heart. Um, as we get into the Christmas season, um, a lot of times as a pastor, when it comes to Christmas, it is the greatest time of year. It is the most dreaded time of the year. Uh, because I have been in ministry for 32 years, 33 years. And by the time you have been preaching for 32 years and every year you have to preach on Christmas, I think that I have preached from the third camel to the right of the manger or whatever. I think I've thrown every angle that I possibly could to somehow just... Add some variety. And so I was praying and asking God to give me something which is unique, something that would feed us, something that would be important for us in this particular day. And I came across the Christmas series that, that, that I wanted to speak on as I was praying. And it was called Hungry. And it's based on the fact that God is the giver of great gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, it says in the book of James. And that he extravagantly gives. He is extravagantly generous to us. And this is exhibited particularly in the Christmas story. At the appointed time, God sent forth a woman 
gave birth to a son at the, at the, the correct time so that we might receive the adoption of sons. God coming to sacrifice his life for us is the ultimate in generosity, don't you think? This is what God has done for us. And so I began to ask myself a question. That if God would give me the best Christmas gift ever, what would it be? Now, he already has in sending his son, obviously. But I began to pray. If God were to give me something, what would it be? And I came up with these things. I believe that God desires to give. I'm going to talk today about healing. Holy Ghost power. Reconciliation. And deliverance. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about that because Christmas is less than a month away. And to the follower of Jesus, we celebrate what's called the incarnation, the fact that God came in the flesh to redeem us, to pay for the price for our sins, to provide a way for us to know Jesus. And when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19, 9, verse 15, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's the way Paul describes it as he's talking to the Corinthian church. And that's really what it is. It's indescribable. So as we get talking about this topic, let me ask you the question. If God were to give you a present this year, what would be the most valuable gift for you? Now for those of you who have already thought a million dollars, I don't know if that would be the best gift for us. Because it ends up being the thing that runs the greatest competition with our relationship with God. After all, why pray for it when you can pay for it? Right? And I, I believe that if, if God can, cannot trust us with the little things, how is he going to trust us if he gives us even more of them? And, and so, as we get talking about this thing called hunger... I have found in my years of ministry, and the Word of God has shown it um, to be true, um, that there's a direct correlation between hunger and God's coming through, the way He gives His gifts. When you think of the Christmas story in the Gospels, one thing we often overlook is that there was about 400 years between Malachi and the gospel story. Over 400 years. Lots of stuff happened in that time. Like Alexander the Great kind of took over the world. All of a sudden, Greek became the universal language. The Romans took over. There were the Roman roads. There's a thing which is called the Jewish diaspora. And you're thinking, what's so special about that? Well, for the first time in history, there was opportunity for a a uh, gospel to be preached, a story to be told throughout the world, and there was opportunities for it to go, and the Jewish communities became the hub for the gospel. It was the perfect timing. And so when you think about it, you can kind of see how God had kind of been arranging things. And when we take a look at, Gal at uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, you and I, that we might receive adoption. We might become sons and daughters of God. It's the whole plan. And the funny thing about this, this whole aspect of it is that God spent over 400 years per preparing the way in the circumstances 
But I think even more so, he spent those 400 years preparing the hearts of people so that when Jesus did come, they were hungry. They were hungry to hear from God. And I've come to realize that many times God moves amongst the people, he first makes them hungry. And I believe that we have been through a really difficult time over the last couple of years, and it did a lot of things to us. But one of the things that I'm hoping that it has done is caused us to once again become hungry. God increased our hunger, our hunger for more of God, our hunger for an authentic faith. Not something made up, something which is real. A hunger for real power, a hunger for the miraculous, a hunger for deliverance. Look deep in your heart, I say this morning, and ask, what is the longing that God has placed you there at this point? What is the thing that you are hungry for this morning? So today I want to talk about hunger for healing. I want to talk next week about hunger for Holy Spirit power. On the 11th, I want to talk about hunger for restoration. And on the 18th, I want to talk about hunger for deliverance. And you're saying, why would I say this? Because sometimes people, are, sometimes people are watching online and you think, I might want to be here because I'm going to be opening the altars to anybody who wants prayer over any one of these areas. And I'm trusting that God is somehow going to move and work despite myself and my feebleness and trying to get across the message which is on my heart. And sometimes it doesn't get through my brain and my mouth correctly. And so I'm praying that we will be able to see the presence of God because there are some people who are saying here, I would rather take, I would rather take the healing than the million dollars. I would rather have the relationship with my son or my daughter or my father or my mother restored rather than a million dollars. I would rather be delivered of this thing that has been gnawing and haunting my life for, forever than to have the million dollars. I believe that that's true. So today, we consider hunger for healing during the Christmas season. And you say, why about that? Because I think that the Christmas season is all about um, healing. So what I want to do is I want to think deductively. I want to take a look at what the scriptures are actually saying and observing what we know from scripture to be true. And the first deduction is this. This Christmas is a story that tells us that we're not alone. The one main passage of scripture for that is, is when the angel is talking to Joseph and he says in Matthew chapter 23, says they uh, will call his name Emmanuel. The whole verse says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now that's kind of seen in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. They're just quoting Isaiah saying this hundreds of years prior. And if you have ever questioned Loneliness, and for many of us there are, this should be the one thing that dispels the fact that you are not alone because God intervened for you. The whole Christmas is the fact that you are not alone in this whole thing. And when it says God with us, it can mean any one of three things. God with us in that fact that God is within us. God with us in the fact that God is among us. And God with us in the fact that he is on our side. And I'm not too sure exactly what was meant at that time, but all three of them apply to us. We're not alone. The other deduction uh, would be this, and it is that the Christmas story tells us that God cares about our condition. Really, the Christmas story has a lot to do with healing in the light of heaven and eternity. 
The man is stricken with this incurable disease called sin, and mankind is absolutely unable within himself to cure himself. It happened since Adam. Right from Adam, man has been under this disease, which is called sin, and he cannot do it. It doesn't matter how many good things that you do. It doesn't matter how well you live out your life. The fact is that there is sin, and this sin is upon our lives, and, and there is nothing that we can do. And so God, what he does is comes, dies for our sin. And it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, verse 8, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God cares about our condition. Christ's ultimate reason for coming to earth as a baby was so that he could heal us of this dilemma. We start the Advent season, and for those who are not aware of the Advent season, there's like four emphases, and they are this. Hope, peace, love, and joy. And the reason, is, the reason for this is the fact that God cares about our condition and does something about it. And we understand this spiritual healing, but is there some type of redemption process which has to do with physical healing? So the next thing, the next, the next point is this, is that the Christmas story tells us that God intervenes in our lives. Not just that he cares. He interjects himself into our lives so that we can, that we can, uh, that's not for our, his good, but for others. That's why, that's why it says again in Galatians chapter 4, God interjects himself into human history, not for his good, but for ours. And for some, this is like Christianity 101, but sometimes we forget the, the absolute awesomeness of this. The most of humanity at, before this time, was, the picture was that there's this great deity, there's this great God, and we need to do everything that we can to appease this God so that somehow he might show favor upon us. But Christianity is different in the fact that God is the one who pursues us. The God is the one who comes to rescue us. He's the one who intervenes in our lives when we could do absolutely nothing about us. Not only does he go, goes out of his way to heal us, but he goes out of his way to feel us. To know exactly what it was like to live life. To know exactly what it was like to face temptation. To feel pain. That's how he intervenes in our lives. And so the next, the next point is this. The Christmas story tells us that God will go to great lengths to rescue us. Like think, if you, if you really had, if you really had a concept of what heaven is about, that's the problem sometimes, is that because we have never been to heaven, it's only something we have been able to read about, and it sounds wonderful. But to, absolute, to actually comprehend what heaven is about would cause us to realize that the place that Jesus was coming to, although we think it's kind of nice, is probably a dump in comparison. That it was absolutely nothing. And in Philipp, the Philippines, uh, book of Philippines, it says this. Who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so therefore, the Christmas story is about healing in every sense of the word. And sometimes what happens is we get so enamored by some of the things and the tinsel and, and everything going up, it's not necessarily a bad thing. 
But if it draws away from us the fact that there's a God who rescued us and came and did things to the extreme to show this incredible generosity towards us, we fail to realize that it was a work of healing. The other, the other uh, deduction is, is this, that prior um, to, to the Messiah entering into the world in human form, the sacred scriptures forecast that healing would be one of God's agenda. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished, and, the, and that brought peace upon him. And by his wounds, it says, we are healed. Talks that there's somewhat of a provision there. There are a lot of people who think, well, you know what? When it's talking about healing there, it's talking about spiritual healing. And I would tend to agree with them because, you know, whenever God moves and the atonement happens and people come to Jesus, they're saved all the time. And, and when someone is healed and we pray for someone to be healed, they're not healed all the time. And so, therefore, it really can't be a part of the atonement, which is what do they call it. But there's something interesting about the passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. When 1 Peter talks, he talks about the same thing, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. That he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of sin was upon him, and by we, our stripes, by his stripes, we are healed. When, when Peter talks about by his stripes we are healed, he uses the word healed in terms of a physical healing. That's an interesting thing. I think that when Peter was talking about it, he was giving provision of the fact that physical healing is, at the very least, a redemptive provision. That God still wants to interject in our life physically as well as spiritually. Because the next deduction is this. That Jesus' subsequent ministry showcased healing often. If you take your Gospels and you read all the stories and you mark down all the times where Jesus healed somebody you'll find no less than 26 times where Jesus is actually physically healing someone. And a lot of times, it wasn't just one person, it was a dozen people. It was a few things. And there were a number of times where it says that Jesus healed many or healed the whole village. And not only that, there are many instances, the book of John says, where he doesn't even report what he did. So Jesus' ministry continues him healing people physically throughout the gospel. And the next deduction after that is this, that the furthering ministry of the Holy Spirit revealed that God continued to heal even after Jesus ascended into heaven through the disciples and through the apostles. And we see, we see people like, um, like Peter. All of a sudden in Acts, after Jesus had, had descended into heaven, you, you read in Acts chapter 3 of a guy at the beautiful, temp who gets, at the beautiful temple who gets healed. And not, and not only that, there's a number of things that happen through Peter's ministry. He heals, he heals a girl named Tabitha who had died. As a matter of fact, it even goes on to say in, in Hebrews, or sorry, in Acts um, chapter five, uh, 5, verses 12, that the healing ministry of Peter was so intense, it said that for some people, even his shadow went over them and they were healed. That's what the Word of God says. What about Paul? says, I think, in Acts chapter 19 that handkerchiefs were given from him and, and they were healed. Paul also says in, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are people who are actually given gifts to be able to heal people physically. Incredible. And not only that, the next deduction is the fact that James, Jesus' brother, 
talks about healing in his book, in the book of James. This is the brother, the, I guess the half-brother of Jesus. And he's the one who says, hey, if any among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Remember the passage? Let them anoint him with oil, praying over him in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. And if there's any sins that are committed, they'll be forgiven of him. Pretty powerful passage given by the brother of Jesus. And then the next deduction after that is Jesus' last words in the book of Mark. These are going to be the signs that accompany those who believe. They will do a whole bunch of things. One of the ones I want you to concentrate on is they will place their hands on the sick people. They'll get well. So we see it. Not only that, the last deduction would be this. That even today we see him healing people. Throughout history we have seen him healing people. I know that um, I've read a number of uh, occasions where I've read about people healing. I remember in, in Christianity Today there's a story by a fellow named George Wood. And maybe you don't know who George Wood is or was. At one point he was the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. We are the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. The, the same thing in the States is called the Assemblies of God. He was the superintendent. He tells a story about his sister, and his name was Doris, and they, at that time they were living in Pennsylvania, and so she decided to go to Central Bible College, and, um, which I think was in Springfield, Missouri. I'm not too sure exactly where it is. He said, there was this, there's this revival time, and my sister was at the altar. And what, it, what he says as he describes the story is that my sister had 20% vision in one eye and had 50% vision in the other eye. And so people who knew her knew her to be the girl that had the pop bottle glasses, that the lenses on her glasses were so thick that it almost distorted the look of her eyes when you saw her. And at that particular time, in those particular days, when someone had glasses, people prayed for them often. God, I just pray that you heal them. Lord, restore their eyesight so that it's 2020. They just, they, that was just the thing to do at that particular time. And so what happens is she's up at the altar during this revival time at Bible College. And she begins to see a vision of Jesus on the cross. And she begins to hear these words, Doris, take off your glasses. And she says, no. She had been sick and tired people continually praying for the same thing. And so she continues, and the vision remains there, and she hears the word again, Doris, take off your glasses. And she says, no. So this continues, and she hears the voice in her heart the third time, Doris, take off your glasses. And she said this, God, if this is you, I don't ever want to put these glasses on again. And then the vision went away and she opened her eyes and she could see perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. And as he winds, winds up the stories, he says, that was 50 years ago. 50 years, she's never put that set of glasses on again. Not only did the Christmas story talk about healing, not only did Jesus heal and his apostles heal, what does this James tell us to heal? Not only does Jesus say in his last words that, that we will be able to place hands on the sick and they will be able to cover, but we see it throughout history. I don't know if you've heard of J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland has probably affected Christianity more than we think. He's probably one of the, one of the, the best apologists for the Christian faith. And 
he was a professor in school, and he had a number of occasions where he had to make some important, important uh, teaching things, and he was away, and he said, he said, something had come over me on the one night. It says, I went from being perfectly healthy to within three hours having such a terrible case of laryngitis that I couldn't speak at all. That every time I swallowed and every time I tried to do anything, it was like pins and needles going through. Have you ever had that? You ever had those times? He said, what I thought I would do is I would quickly go to the walk-in clinic and maybe get some medication so that I could get rid of this really quick. And the doctor sat there and said, you know, I've seen this a number of times before. He says, it's a really bad virus that you are experiencing, and you are not going to be able to do anything for the next seven to ten days. You better just resolve it, the fact that you're going to have to wait this one out. You know, he tries to wrestle to say, I have all these important things. He says, well, you know what, if I could wave a magic wand and get it rid of it, but I can't. He says, you are stuck. So he said, what happens is I make plans to cancel everything, but I have to go to a service at the church. And so as he's leaving, there are two people that are there and said, listen, Brother Moreland, at the very least, we can lay hands and pray for you. And he said, I was so tired and I was so sick that I did it. But I was there, I was there physically, but I don't know if I was there, you know, emotionally. You know how you are so sick? You're just saying, just let these people pray for me so I can just go home and be sick. It's never happened. Hopefully not. But yes, it has happened, hasn't it? He says, one person put their hand on my shoulder. The other person put his hand right on my throat. And they began to pray, and I really wasn't listening. And then all of a sudden, I felt this warm feeling go throughout my throat and into my lungs. He said, by the time they're done praying, laryngitis was gone. Never, ever came back. I would imagine as we have, you know, a group of people here this morning, if I were to open the mic and talk about how God heals, I'm sure that there would be a lineup of people. Because, yeah, I know that he heals. I know that he, he, he does incredible things. When I was a young Christian, a really young Christian, one of my best friends was driving, and his brother had a car, and he had a motorcycle. And they saw each coming, and sort of to kid each other, they kind of went into the other lane like they are going to hit each other. Problem is, they both turned, both turned, the wrong way and, and slammed into him and my, my friend was in the hospital and, and the initial, the initial um, x-rays and everything showed that he had broken his neck and he'd broken his jaw in three places and, and they weren't too sure if he's going to walk again. And, and I remember as a young Christian, I was just a really, really young Christian, sitting and praying in my bed that God would somehow heal him. And I know that there were the elders that went and prayed over him that God would somehow move and work in his life. And so they said, okay, this is what we're going to have to do. This is how we're going to have to do surgery. I think that there are two breaks in this neck. Let's take x-rays one more time. Took the x-rays. Not one broken bone in his neck. He still had to wire his jaw. Apparently God didn't want him talking for a little while. I'm not too sure how that all worked. I've seen it. You have. So I'm not too sure where you are. But I've realized that just by deductively reasoningly, I can't help but think that God desires to heal. That it's in his nature. That it's seen in the Christmas rescue story. That it's part of his character. That it's patterned in scripture. As a matter of fact, the Bible instructs us to pray over the sick so that they will recover. Are you hungry for healing? I would for sure 
venture out and say that there are a number of people here, if I said to you, I have a million dollars, or you can be healed of whatever cancer is there, whatever problem, that you would for sure say, I want a million dollars. I want God to heal me. I think the best gifts that God, the best gifts that, gifts that God gives, the world has not able to offer. So the question I have for you today is this. Are you hungry for God to heal? If God were to give you the gift of healing, would that not be the best Christmas present you would ever get? Would it not? So I'm going to pray a prayer right now. Um, I'm hoping to get uh, build up our, our prayer team. I know Dennis is here, and I'm hoping that Dennis, if you could come up and, and join me here at the altar. What I want to do is I want to pray for any person who is here, whether you're up on the balcony or whether you're here on the main level or maybe you are joining us online and you said, oh, I wish I was here. Well, we're going to pray. We're going to pray just online for you right now for, for God to heal you. I'm not too sure what ailment you're going through. You might, you might be terminal. I'm not too sure. All I know is that the God who created the world can heal you. Amen? Is that time we began to pray for God to heal the sick? Let's stand together. In Jesus' name, Father, I just pray that you'll be with everyone here, Lord. I know it just, uh, uh, I, there's a, about three different families I met today who are here for the first time, and I pray, God, um, for the blessing of God upon them, Father, and, and Lord, it would be a great thing, Father, if all of a sudden they were able to see people get healed, whatever it is, God, or maybe they're here and they need healing, God. Just pray, Father, that you will just open up hearts, Lord, to, re to receive healing. So, Lord, I open up the altar. I know that we're preparing for the multicultural meal tonight, and that's great. We're going to probably be moving seats while we're praying for people. But I think that God wants to heal people. I think God wants to give people a gift of healing. 